0: There are no other tourists. Basically, I'm, I'm going to hotels or hostels and people are telling me, you're our first tourist. That's pretty amazing. And they're open like for four months. This is
1: the, final goal for the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 384. With over 200 museums in a country roughly the size of New Jersey, Israel has the highest number of museums per capita in the entire world. The beaches in Israel, also probably better than beaches in New Jersey. This is going to sound funny to some people, but one of the best things about being your own boss and running your own company is the fact that I do not have to dress up for work ever again. I can roll out of bed and I can wear whatever I want. No more shirt and tie, no more khakis, nothing like that. But that doesn't mean there aren't times when I don't want to dress up and look good. And that is why I absolutely love my new favorite pair of travel shoes out there. And to be honest, I'm wearing these all the time. I haven't traveled in like the last couple of weeks and I am still wearing these every single day. These Suave shoes, they look good with everything. So today I've got on shorts and a t-shirt. I'm rocking my Suaves. when I want to dress up nice and go out on a date with Heather and maybe put on some nice jeans or nice pants and maybe even a blazer. I can rock my Suaves. They are perfect for any situation. Dress them up, dress them down. It doesn't matter. They are the best travel shoe out there. They look good whether you're going to be rocking around the city or whether you're going to be even out on somewhat of a mini hike, anything like that. They are the best travel shoe out there. I absolutely love them. You can check them out, suaves.com. That's S-U-A-V-S dot check them out and don't forget to use the promo code EPOP and that will get you 15% off your first order over there. Another great thing about being your own boss and being location independent, the fact that you can work from anywhere. Of course, that means that I've worked from literally all over the world, whether that be rice fields in Bali or farmhouses in Tuscany or just down the street at my local co-working space and coffee shop, And if you are traveling and if you are working from anywhere, you need a very good backpack in order to do that. And that is why I love my Tortuga backpacks. They were a game changer for me when they first came out because they have a super easy to access laptop sleeve right in the back. It's padded, so my laptop, which is probably my boat's prized possession when I'm traveling, because I'm going to have to be working as well, make sure it stays completely safe. It's also super easy to get out when you have to take it out when going through um, security or anything like that if you're taking a plane. So I absolutely love my Tortuga, not just as a backpack to carry all my clothes and everything like that, but especially as someone who will be working from the road, it's big enough for me to carry all the equipment I need, plus my clothes, Check them out. It has been around the world with me, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. Don't forget, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. You have to use that special link because that will get you 10% off automatically. Super magical thing happens when you go to check out. If you go to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop, it'll put a promo code in there and you will get 10% off anything you order. One, two, three. four, three, four, three, four, three, four, three, four, I'll show you Paris in the morning. I'll show you London afternoon If you feel your Dublin Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has lived in over 30 countries, who had a cat that had more Facebook likes than his company page, and who is known as a Nomad CEO, Eli David, co-founder of StartupBlink.com and BecomeNomad.com. Eli, thanks for joining me and a big welcome.
0: Thank you, Travis. It's a pleasure. Thank
1: you. I'm excited to have you on and because, Eli, your whole mission revolves around kind of giving digital nomads more resources so they can succeed, whether that be people working on their own, like in a small way, like podcast blogs, things like that, stuff that we do, or whether that be big companies, big startups, all that kind of stuff. It's all this idea of like, how can we get these companies that are doing cool things to succeed but I want to take it back a bit because I want to figure out how you got started in this digital nomad location independent space yourself.
0: Got you. Okay. I'll give you a small uh, introduction. So basically, it can get more boring. In the beginning, I was an accountant in companies like KPMG, BDO, big companies, and... Um, and then, you know, I kind of, I want my story to kind of be, uh, you know, I, I was there and then I figured out it wasn't really for me and I decided to make a big change, but it wasn't the case that I was very unsuccessful accountant. I think I'm a little bit dyslexic. I got fired uh, twice, I think. And then at some point I just said to myself, look, this is not a career I want. And it helped me to kind of have a breaking point of rethinking, uh, you know, what, what's next and, uh, I think that a lot of us do not have those those breaking points. And those, that's, that's a challenging one. How do you push yourself into something new, a new lifestyle, without someone telling you kind of, hey, it's not working out? And in my case, I got a very clear indication that it wasn't working out. So it was much, much easier, to be honest. Um, But yeah, after I figured out it's not really my thing and I had a relationship that also broke in a very serious one that was supposed to go to marriage and didn't. So basically everything was um, happening kind of in the same month. Uh, And I'm kind of happy that basically when it happened, I kind of did a stop and uh, that's where I'm most proud of myself. Okay, I wasn't active into saying I want to change. Basically life changed for me. But when it did happen... Uh, I didn't panic, you know, and I said, "Okay, um, there is a breaking point here. Uh, let's think about what was the dream initially." And the dream was actually when I was without attachments. Uh, the best period of my life was a traveling period in South America when I did a backpacking trip, and then I basically said, "What can be the closest thing that I can do now that I basically lost all my attachments?" and and said to myself, "Okay, it's kind of." travel combined with a little bit of work and uh, that's what I've been doing since then
1: so then you talked about that backpacking trip when you were growing up was there a lot of travel in your life with like were your parents travelers did you did you go out as a family a lot or was that something that you came about like as you came into your own and, and got older and could do it on your by yourself?
0: No, so actually not. I hated traveling, to be honest. I was a little bit uh, homesick in a way. I think that basically, you know, my home country is Israel. So basically the first encounter of being out of home for me was the army, which uh, was kind of adventurous. And then uh, before that, I actually did a trip to Paris with my brother as a babysitter to his kids. And I remember something that surprised me. At night, uh, when I was off babysitting, I went to the metro in Paris. And that happened when I was like 15. And uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed moving between stations. And I was super surprised because I saw myself as kind of a very uh, timid, shy, and non-risk person. And here I am just jumping between metro stations. So something there gave me a little bit of indication that uh, I'm onto something, you know, this uh, total adventure in a new country. But uh, the big thing was uh, my backpacking trip after the army, which is something that everyone in Israel kind of does. Even if you don't want to do it, you have to do it. Like society is pressuring you into uh, what you're starting to study so soon. What are you crazy? So basically, um, over there, it was very clear that this is the best year of my life. That was the best of the best. Um, So yeah, I had a few clues before uh, in small trips uh, uh, before I was 18. Um, and in retrospective, I could identify those points where I'm super happy traveling outside, but it didn't really, I didn't really figure it out until I did the big trip. And I have to tell you before I went on the big trip, I kind of had a feeling that I would come back uh, with my tail be- between my legs uh, about uh, less than a month after because I just I just felt like it's not gonna work out. Like taking a backpack and going to South America, I did it also because a little bit of the pressure you got after you finish a really intense period, Um, and it was magic. So um, it was pretty surprising to me, to be honest.
1: To me, that is amazing that in Israel, there's this pressure to go out and take this big trip. Now, obviously, you have to serve in the military, but... It's interesting to me that the societal pressure is go, go do some sort of crazy. And usually it's usually when I meet Israel's it's crazy trips like, yeah, backpacking through South America or my friend went and got horses and rode across Mongolia for like months. You know, it's this, hey, we're out of the army. Let's not we're not just going to go to Europe and, you know, take the train around to a few cities. It's kind of it, it seems like it's pretty adventurous and rugged. And that's that's the feeling of. Hey, you're out of the army now. Go do some sort of crazy rugged trip, and I like that you were the one who thought, "Eh, like, I, I if, if people weren't pressuring me, I wouldn't even really do this, and I'm probably going to come home." And then, whoops, wait a second, you end up falling in love and travel. So, uh, it, it seems to me opposite of kind of our American mindset, which is, "Oh, you're out of college, okay, go get a job." And if you do take that trip, people are like, "What are you doing? Shouldn't you get started?" So, have you, is. Does that make sense? And does that is that kind of how you see it? Like it's almost two different polar opposites between the American mentality of getting out of college and starting a job and then the Israeli mentality of getting out of the army and going and, and experiencing life a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. There is a difference. Israel uh, is really special on the mentality. I can't really know why. By the way, we're going to discuss startups later and the... Uh, 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 Israel is very successful on the startup ecosystem as well. And the same pressure exists on a startup level. Like if you're a lawyer or a doctor or you work for a big company, society also looks at you and says, but why didn't you start something on your own? You know, it's like, uh, so yeah, you have this thing about uh, entrepreneurship, travel and so on, that people are kind of like, uh, life is short, you know, do your thing. I don't know why, you know, maybe it's because it's a country that is, kind of the feeling since you're young is that you're living on the brink. You know, it's it's always going to maybe end one day and there are many, many uh, risks out there in the world. So I guess it's a society that pushes you a little bit more into uh, taking risks. And I think it works. It, it's actually beneficial in a way. Um Going back to the topic of, of startups, uh, the, the same the, the mentality in Europe or in East Europe, where I am now, is even the other way around. If you're taking risks, you're uh, crazy. Entrepreneurship, for example, is a bad word here. It reminds them of manipulators and so on and so on. And in is- Israel, it's all about a hey, play uh, when you can play as much as you can. So yeah. You have you're onto something.
1: It's it's fascinating the differences and hearing you speak about it and getting to see it from from both sides. Like you mentioned, right now you're in Eastern Europe, you're in Russia, and there it's like you know, they're trying to squelch squelch all the entrepreneurial juices out of anyone and in Israel yeah it's like oh mom I'm a lawyer well that's that's okay but your friend's an entrepreneur he's way cooler right uh it's just it's it's fascinating that the differences in opinions and and the way that is and we'll probably touch a little bit more on that for you when you came back and and then you were an accountant and then you you know you got fired so you're like all right I I have no ties here Let me go out and try to travel, but I know I can't travel indefinitely because I need to make money, so let me find something like an in-between, which is like being a digital nomad, being location-independent. What did that look like for you in the beginning? What projects were you working on, and how have you been able to make it work as someone who is a digital nomad?
0: Yeah, that's a good one. So I started really early. I started in 2008. Uh, no actually I started in 2010 uh, and uh, there was no real information about digital nomadism back then Um, I remember so or I suck in Google search and then I I couldn't find any but uh, the thing is that the, the the best idea I've got I went to a forum and the best idea and I asked people look I have this dream uh, I want to travel. What do I do? And in the forum, they tell me maybe you can pick fruits in fields and so on. So that's the best idea that I, I had in 2010, to be honest, when I started. Um, but before that, I, I fortunately ran into an article in The Economist. And uh, the article mentioned uh, Elance and Up and uh, others, two companies for freelancing. So I said, OK, there is, might be something here. That might uh, save me from picking fruits all my life, as I move between uh, locations. And I just signed up on those sites. It was a very, very difficult ride. It took me a lot of time to close the first, um, the first uh, uh, contract. Uh, but at the same time um, i had a little bit of time and in israel i prepared for it and this is basically something that i kind of recommend people to do like don't go outside of your country on your big trip without kind of knowing what you're going to do because it's going to take a lot of time so preparing for it while you have the stable location makes a lot of sense and this is something that i've done Um so yeah that's that's basically how i started and it just kept on rolling since then but it's Honestly a very difficult uh, process that takes a lot of time and you need a lot of patience uh, a lot of people disappear on the way when it's getting too difficult and um, that's where you know that's where you build yourself when it's when it's difficult and you just keep on uh, going for it at the same time when i was trying to freelance i was also starting a language company uh, online uh, teaching languages online and that one also slowly transitioned into something that we had more and more clients. But the bottom line is that um, financials is difficult. I, I have to admit that, that uh, uh, finding a sustainable activity, more than anything, if you're going into the startup world, is uh, is not easy, and you really need to want it. You really need to sacrifice for it, and you kind of also have to let go a little bit on your... Uh, traveling dreams in a way. Um, so the, the, I think that if I would go now to the person I was about eight years ago and I would tell them about what I do, um, things that sounds impressive, like I'm building a startup ecosystem map, I have clients all over the world, I was just invited to a conference of the OECD and now I'm in a conference in Moscow. The person eight, eight years ago would be disappointed uh, because uh, the dream is not that exactly. You know, it was more of a freestyle dream of experiencing and so on. So if this person eight years ago would hear that now I met them in Kazan, Russia, this person would like it being in Kazan, Russia, it's a little bit out of nowhere. But in a co-working space working at 10 p.m. at night, they would not appreciate it too too much. But life is kind of full of compromise. And uh, uh, like you can't have a full total uh, nomadic dream as I as I've foreseen it. Uh, Life takes you to another path, but I'm very happy with the compromise. To to be honest,
1: I think that's an important point that has to get hammered home more and more and more in this idea of digital nomads and location independence. Is this idea that the, that it is a compromise? There, it isn't travel all the time. You know, I see it as two comp- almost almost two completely different things. Traveling, like when I go traveling, that's way different than when I am going somewhere. And working. And I found that I, you know, in the beginning, like you, I thought the same thing. I thought, okay, I'm just going to travel. I'm going to hop around. I'm going to go where I want and I'm going to work as I do it. And what I found was that was very, very difficult because you weren't doing either of those things justice. You weren't doing your work justice and you weren't doing the travel part justice. And there'd be times where I was sitting in Bali Like fretting about getting a blog post out, but then wanting to go out on a motorbike in the rice fields and then feeling crappy when I did either of them because I wasn't doing the other one, right? And so you're like constantly in my waging a war with yourself of I should travel more. Oh no, I should do this. And so, how have you then, because you mentioned it, it, it's a compromise, how have you been able to? balance that because I've come up with some strategies and I can get in them in a bit, but I want to hear how you've been able to over eight years, figure that out so that you do get both. You do get to travel and you do get to see new things and have experiences, but you're also making sure you're running your business in a way that is going to continue and is going to be sustainable.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure I figured it out even after eight years. And uh, that's the fun part of, uh, of doing it for so long. I think one of the surprising things for me is how much, how little I figured out uh, after all this time. And I'm really trying to analyze one of the reasons of why I have the blog and the podcast about the digital nomad lifestyle is uh, trying to figure out what am I doing? Like, uh, and that's something that is difficult. My short answer would be a little bit disappointing. I'm not traveling. Um, So uh, the idea is that uh, those eight years I lived in more than 40 countries. Uh, By saying lived, I'm saying I stayed more than one month uh, in those 40 countries. I'm moving every two or three months. And that's basically what I'm doing. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, I have a very stable lifestyle of work, uh, which only um, does one thing, uh, change a place every two months. And and that's how I look at it. So I'm I'm very, very stable, I'm very boring, Uh, I'm very hardworking. I just take a weekend every two months to go to somewhere else. Um, And that's how I look at it, and basically my uh, week is now very much divided between weekdays and uh, and weekends. Uh, On weekends uh, I travel, on weekdays I work, so if you ask me, my my basic, um, uh, let's say, effort is to be a local wherever I go and just work like a local, do whatever a local does, and enjoy the weekends like a local, with the exception of switching locations every two months. And that's the only thing I do that is different from, I think, a normal
1: person. In a way. Interesting. Okay. So you've taken it and you've made it very, very structured, like certainly more structured than I have. Um and you've said, all right, I am essentially going to live my life at like a, a regular nine to five person, or, or maybe you work even more than that. Right. But a regular person with a regular job who would go into work for X amount of hours per week, Monday through Friday. And, but instead of saying, Hey, I live in Philadelphia or I live in Haifa where, where you're from. And you know, then on the weekends, I just hang in this area. You're saying, all right, I'm in Berlin, and I'll be in Berlin two months, and on the weekends, I'll go out and hang out in Berlin and experience a new city, but then two months from now, I'm going to Munich, or I'm going to Budapest, or I'm going to Prague, or, or what have you. So you're switching locations, but doing the same thing. Now, which is is cool, because it's obviously, it's it's a compromise, like you said, right? You're not getting to see everything you want to do, but you're also getting to see a lot more than most people who would just do that, but only be in one place what have you found to be the sweet spot is it is it 2 months like are you pretty structured with that where you say all right it's going to be every 2 months or is that just a general average
0: Yeah, I think it's a general average. I'm trying to uh, not go to a place and be very... I I used to do that. I'm like, no, you're staying too much. And then in my head, I'm telling myself, no, but I don't like Athens, you know? (laughs) Why do I have to stay too much? So the idea is that now it's kind of like uh, uh, the first week, I call it uh, an experimental week, where I'm kind of deciding, am I staying or not? Uh, And I have actually a list of things that I do in the first week to kind of make a decision, um, do I stay or not? And by the way, doing this lifestyle for uh, eight years or oh, more than eight years now, I have a lot of list of making decisions and it helps me because I kind of, and again, this is the reason why I started the blog and the podcast to kind of figure out the low points where I'm kind of stuck and say, okay, what, what am I doing in this situation? So currently my uh, sweet spot is staying one week. And then in this week kind of figure out, do I want to stay or not? You never know in advance. Uh, the connection to a city or to a place um, has to do a lot with things that you will not know until you be there. You know, For example, I thought I'm going to be crazy about London in, in England, and I wasn't. Uh, I thought Zagreb in Croatia is going to be a place where I spend about three days and leave, and I was there for three months. So kind of like a, um, I'm giving myself the first week to decide, Uh, and then basically if I stay, I stay for at least one month or or two months. Uh, That's kind of the sweet spot. Sometimes I'm staying for three months. Why uh specifically this time to be honest it has a lot to do with the passport uh, limitation or the tourist thing so i kind of like things to be uh, dictated to me i don't like to make a lot of decisions so the easiest thing for me is kind of say hey uh, if I stay here next week I'm gonna be illegal so i better you know I better go so the the idea is that this is the thing that kind of uh, uh, pushes me uh, away from locations and uh, a lot of people are looking at those visa restrictions as whatever as a as a problem. I look at them as a blessing. They kind of keep me on the move in a way. Uh, so I had a few incidents that I wanted to stay longer. You know, I was in Colombia last uh, last year for six months. Exactly. I left on the last day. Uh, I would stay longer, but I couldn't. And I think it's a, it's a blessing in disguise uh, in a way.
1: Interesting. All right. So what are the things if you give us, you don't have to give us your whole list, but what are some of the big things when you get in a city in a week? Because when you were saying you you had a week to decide, I I had two thoughts. One, I was like, man, that, that seems like a quick decision. But then I, I think of places that I've been that I know about, like I know what my gut feeling is. And, and then I'm like, oh, I was only there actually three or four days. So I, I do understand that you could get a pretty good idea of the the place in a week but I also feel like that would make me anxious then like I'd be there and I'd sit there and say all right like I got to make this decision in a couple of days now it's you know like I'd be I'd be I couldn't enjoy it because I'd be wondering am I moving on or not so I like that it, you have it systematic what do you what are the things that you look for in that first week what is on that list of whether you're going to stay or go
0: yeah, uh, it's just like a deadline. I have to admit, it's something like I'm I'm in a situation of, of let's say I'm staying one month for two months, but I'm not going to make decisions that bind me to a place. For example, I'm not going to close a co-working space for one month, and I'm not going to close an apartment on Airbnb for one month. So it's like a, less of a of I have to make a decision until Friday. It's more like I take it easy, but I'm not making long-term decisions.
1: In so no way. You, you go but, in saying... Uh, this is going to be a month or two. That's your thought, but you don't. You yeah, you don't make any type of contracts that make it have to be that way. And so in that first week, unless something, unless you don't like it, you're gonna stay.
0: Yeah, in a way, because I, I do prefer to stay. I need the stability. So for me, if I switch locations too much, I think that stability for us is extremely important. If you want to make it sustainable. If you're going to be in a situation that you change locations every week, it's going to be incredibly difficult and you're just going to crash into into saying, I'm done. So the idea is, yeah, my, my idea is to stay. Uh, when wouldn't I stay? Um, so for example, I wouldn't stay if I have kind of a feeling I'm not connecting to the place, which is sometimes happening. Uh, Other situations I wouldn't stay is if I feel like there is a lot of problem on the social side of it. For example, I'm now in Kazan, a, a beautiful city, a Tatar city in Russia. However, there is nothing here. Uh, like there, there are no other tourists. Basically, I'm, I'm going to hotels or hostels and people are telling me, you're our first tourist. That's pretty amazing. They're clo- they're open like for four months. So the idea is that uh, at some situations you're kind of saying to yourself, okay, there isn't a lot of uh, possibility of social life here. Um, there isn't that much startup activity, which is something I care about. By the way, startup activity is interesting even if you're not in startups because it gives you some kind of indication of how, how vibrant the city is. It's not a coincidence that if you look at really good startup ecosystem, you're going to see San Francisco, London, Tel Aviv, Berlin, and so on. Those are the best uh, for a reason. There is some kind of a correlation. So I would recommend people, if you're kind of looking to a place, see how good are their startups ecosystem. And then it's a good indication of would you like it or not. But the thing that comes most to mind is that feeling of connection. You know, do you have those happy moments when you walk, I, I had this in in uh, Kazan. I'm uh, walking, and there is there are mosques here and beautiful places. And that was about a month ago. And I just said, uh, "Wow, well, I, I connect." You, you don't know why. It's just a general feeling that you connect. Uh, and by the way, um, I made the decision to leave uh, Kazan and go to Estonia on the weekend, just because of you know it became too too uh, too cold, and it became uh, like the social life really became too difficult. So the idea is that I think to stay flexible and kind of give yourself you know, the ability to change also your, your decisions, uh, it's also important. And sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Even after eight years of doing that, you're going to make mistakes. So the idea is just to kind of identify the mistake as soon as possible. This is the real skill. I think the real skill is not to make the right decisions because you really can't predict the future. It's just to connect to yourself and kind of say, no, not not really my thing. And um,
1: yeah, being able that- to being able to walk away right from something like even if you thought, as you mentioned, the London example, thinking, oh, this is going to be great and it has everything I want and it has a great startup culture, so I'm going to love it. And then saying, no, this this isn't for me. And being able to to say that and not feel guilty about it, right? Not feel guilty that you don't like something that you thought you might.
0: Exactly, yeah, and it has to do also with sunk cost, and that's why I don't make the decisions on the long term. I think a lot of us in life that is not nomadic uh, are not making decisions to live the nomadic life or doing something new because of the sunk cost. You know, you have a relationship, you have a long term contract or whatever. The idea is what I learned is that the smaller or the the less uh, obliging are your attachments, the more you're gonna feel like. Okay, I can actually do it without kind of telling yourself stories just to defend uh, the attachments or the li- or the sunk costs in a way. So my my idea is basically, if I'm gonna keep the attachment level as low as possible, um, I'm gonna have more clear indication of am I really doing the things I wanna do or am I really staying in the places uh, I wanna stay? In. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you don't have anything to use as an excuse right? I think that's the big thing is when people have attachments and and obviously some of those attachments are good and positive. But when you have that level of attachment and you have those sunk costs, and you probably people don't think of it in that way. I I like how you put it, but people are probably thinking like sunk costs, like this is a relationship. They're they're making it so uh, formulaic. But you do, you have these uh, excuses like, well, I can't travel, or I can't go away for a year because of my car, my house, my pet, my butt. but like, you know, there's a thousand things that you could list. And some people do it anyway, because they start working backwards to them. They say, okay, I could sell my car. You know, they take a, that sort of look at it, but a lot of people will never get to that because they never even push past those things. Like, well, this just, this is too overwhelming. And so I like that you say, all right, I'm going to show up in a new place. I think I'm going to be here a month or two. First week, no attachments. I'll get a hotel or a hostel. You know, I'll just wander around. Uh, I'll check out the scene and then go from there. If you do stay at a place, what do you predominantly use for logistics? Like, how do you find good co working spaces? Where, where are you finding apartments and stuff like that? Let's talk about logistically, if someone wants to do this, what you've learned over eight years that makes it easier to be in a place for a month or two, because it is that. It is a bit of a weird time frame. You're obviously not signing a lease for an apartment for a year, but you need something longer than a couple of days, too.
0: Yeah, so I think it's very individual. Each one of us has their list of things. So my list of things can never be your list because uh, my list, for example, has co-working as the most critical thing. And for other people, co-working is not a must, you know, so I totally accept it. But for me, I would not, the, the first thing that I check before I go to a location is do they have a good co-working space? And if they don't, I'm simply not going to be there because I know that uh, basically without co-working, there is no way I can stay in a place. I'm not going to be happy working from home and so on and so on. So I think that the first thing I check before going to a place is co-working. The, fir- the second thing that I check and already figured out is that I don't like the mega cities, the big cities that have more than even one million people, I'm kind of attracted to the smaller cities. I feel a lot more home there. It took me a lot of time to understand that. Uh, I was in Barcelona, in London, in Prague, didn't like them. And you know, in the beginning I blamed the cities. But then after some times you kind of uh, identify a pattern of the big mega successful city that is very touristic with uh, about three million or or seven million people and you're like, okay, so now I kind of know uh, what to avoid and the idea is again on the logistics I'm kind of uh, going to a place trying a few co-working spaces in the first week that's what the first week is for uh, kind of trying to identify maybe there is an interesting opportunity for accommodation I like the accommodations that are far from the city center Uh, Okay, not now when I'm in uh, the snow in Russia. (laughs) Adventuring now is pretty difficult. Even walking about five meters is sometimes an adventure. But uh, um, usually I like the the places that are a little bit outside of the city. For example, in Colombia, I stayed uh, only in farms outside of the city and traveled to the city every day or small village out of the city. So it's kind of like exploring the um, opportunities out there. I have to tell you, the administration and the logistics are really, other than the co-working, there is nothing, to be honest. There is absolutely nothing that is critical. I kind of have, I know what is my routine. I I need a good night's sleep and a co-working space and a place that offers a little bit of social life. For social life, I'm using stuff like uh, meetup.com for meetups, uh, couchsurfing for meeting people and the hangouts feature that they have now. Um, and the co-working space that supplies you a lot of social activity. Uh, and on the weekends, I just, I have a lot that I travel to somewhere else. Like I don't want to spend the night in my city on the weekends. I kind of go two, two nights to a new place. So I kind of discovered the region in a way uh, in, in the period of those two months. But uh, it's not that complicated, you know? It's kind of like really easy. What, what's important? Where you work and where you sleep. And that's basically it. I don't think it's it's uh, that complicated. In my case, I have one more thing that I added, which is a swimming pool. I really like swimming, so it's important for me to find this swimming pool. But at the end of the day, um, our life are pretty they're pretty simple. You know, it's not that complicated.
1: I you do simply when you're talking, you do simplify stuff very easily. I'm like, hey man, Eli's got it like he's got it on lockdown. He knows. All right, I like this. I like this. Everything else. Is extra. Like if they have these five things, then great. If they don't, I don't, you know, no big deal. Interestingly though, why do you like to stay outside of the city center? Is that like what I cause most people would probably say, hey, if I'm coming to a city for a month or, or two months, you know, I have the co working space here. I want to be able to roll out of my apartment and walk, you know, three blocks to the co working space. Like they like, they like that. And and I think I like that? I you know, I can go both ways, but I think I like that too. Hey, no commute, I'm not wasting time, I'm able to go to the co-working space, this, that. But you're actually saying, I like getting out of, away from the co-working space and and having to come in. You're essentially saying you like having a commute to work. Explain that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that... Uh... Again, it's very individual. Some people thrive in cities. I already told you the the one million uh, rule that I don't like big cities. And for me, uh, cities are artificial. They shouldn't exist. They haven't existed in our history as human beings. Uh, they're a big chunk of cement, and uh, I try to avoid them to be honest because I don't think they're natural. So I, I totally see the social value of cities, the work value of cities, and so on and so on. But If you give me uh, in the morning a place where I can see nature and I can do a nice walk just before I start working, I'm super happy. Now, uh, also, if you're out of the city, you're going to get to know the real country. So in the city center, to be honest, city centers are currently swept by tourists and uh, by uh, kind of the richer people of the population and so on and so on. They're not really authentic. So I I noticed that the, the more you... Go out of the center, the more you can really understand the country, uh, the more you can connect to its people, uh, and the more you can see authentic things in a way. So I'm I'm very much attracted to uh, being outside of the city center when I can, uh, and there is more nature on the edge of the city. So if you go exactly to the edge where the city ends, those are usually the places I like the most, but I do need good transportation. So th- there has to be a good option to arrive to my co-working space after I walk for 30 minutes, which is something I do anyway every day. I don't like to walk less than 30 minutes and take a a quick uh, bus ride or whatever. But uh, if there is nature and you're going away from the city center, uh, it's going to be more authentic and I think you're going to enjoy it more. But it's really individual. So I wouldn't advise it to everyone. By the way, it's going to cut your budget as well. Uh, And I know, uh, Travis, you're speaking a lot about cutting the budget and how to do it in a sustainable way. So basically... Uh, uh, the city center, you pay a premium for basically not taking a risk, of saying, hey, I want to do whatever every other tourist is doing. And I'm thinking, if you're staying for one month, you're not a regular tourist or two months. So why should you pay like a regular tourist? Basically, the regular tourist is not taking risks because they have only five days in Prague, and they don't want to mess it with some kind of a suburb that might destroy their vacation but you're in a different uh, situation. So I kind of feel like uh, that's the optimal decision, kind of uh, go a little bit away from the center.
1: For you then, you said that you don't like working like at home, right? You you always want to go to a co-working space. And talk about that a little bit too, because I, I again, I, I'm less to one side or the other. I feel like I, I sometimes I, I can get a lot done whether i'm at home or whether i'm in an apartment in another country and then there are times like you said sometimes i'm like i can't be here where i sleep i have to get out so how long did that take you to figure out and what is it about co-working spaces that allows you to be much more effective than let's say you had your own apartment in a city and no one was around to bother you why do you think the co-working spaces is, is what gets you into that work mode
0: I don't think I feel. So basically, uh, if I stay at home and work, I feel unemployed. I don't know why, but basically that's what happened. I just feel depressed and unemployed. Uh, And, you know, again, uh, one of the biggest things in this lifestyle is kind of, if you want to make it sustainable, is get to know yourself and your emotions. And I just figured out that working from home kills me. Like I'm totally a depleted person. When I stay at home, I'm a very extreme example of that. I would not preach uh, anyone to say you have to go out of home. I do think that... As a digital nomad, it makes a lot of sense to go and work in a co-working space because your social life is also going to be greatly influenced by the people that you meet. So it has other benefits for us specifically. If you're doing the reset every every two months and you have to start over, start over in a place that also gives you a little bit of structure and uh, uh, social meaning and uh, also benefits to business because you can meet other entrepreneurs and so on. Uh, I have a lot of clients that I met in co-working spaces. I hired people I, I, uh, I met in co-working spaces. Uh, great things happen in co-working spaces. But specifically for me, it starts with the psychology of uh, simply I can't work at home. And I'm very budget-oriented. I think a lot about costs. But co-working is maybe the only thing that I don't care how much it costs. Uh, if I stay, I'm gonna do it, and uh, it's something that I learned. And every time I'm trying to test it, uh, uh, life hits me in the face. You know, it's like saying uh, no, yeah, like it's not gonna. You know, you need to do that. So basically, um, that, that's
1: your non-negotiable, right? You're like, I, yes. I, I'll pay for a co-working space no matter what. Because interestingly enough, and you can let's talk on on price a little bit with co-working. I, you know, I've been in places that are super cheap. We think Southeast Asia, Thailand, Bali, and yet. The co-working spaces there, while being cheaper than a co-working space in Philadelphia or New York, like, a you know, a, a bigger city, are certainly not proportional to what it costs to, to get an apartment or to get an accommodation or to go out to get a meal. Like, co-working spaces I have found in those places are much higher proportionally than they are in a, in, you know— other parts of the world so have you seen that as well where we like co-working spaces don't get that much cheaper in places that are substantially cheaper for other things
0: yeah definitely co-working uh, is becoming a commodity in the west uh, but it's still a luxury in the uh, let's say developing countries uh, because in the developing countries it's kind of like if you don't have to spend on it just don't spend on it you know so the idea is that if you're like uh, uh, saying, hey, I, I kind of need something for the spirit. The something for the spirit is gonna cost a lot more than what it does, I think, in the West. So, um, yeah, I totally saw it, and I think co-working is gonna be a, a strain on everyone's budget that is traveling. And uh, like I said, the cost uh, is kind of, kind of almost the same in a way. It, it is a little bit more high on on the West, but not that much more. Um like you said, the non-negotiable thing that you kind of say um, to yourself, look, uh, don't cut your costs in the things that make you uh, most happy in a way. And I have to tell you, so there, there was something that when when I started doing co-working and, and I think to myself, wow, I'm paying about $10 or $20 a day. It helps a little bit because you take yourself more seriously because you're saying um, kind of like, whoa, I'm, I'm actually... I'm taking my work seriously, I get dressed, I uh, take a transportation, and I'm paying someone to be in an office, which was something that people paid me to do. So the work that I'm doing must be um, relevant, and it might, must make a difference. Uh, I've got a few freelancing contracts after I started co-working, because I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm like paying for the hours for the co-working, basically. That's what So the idea is that you do take yourself the, the idea is that when you up your level a little bit and you you make a little bit of expenses i think treating yourself more seriously has a, a psychological benefit of its own in
1: a way yeah and i would agree the mindset that happens as well is the thought that Hey, I'm I'm go I know this happens to me when I leave my house. Even if I'm going to the library. Let's say I'm not going to co-working space and paying. I'm just going somewhere for free. Cafe, library. I don't drink coffee, so cafes I usually don't go to because I feel bad, you know, sitting there and eating one little pastry for hours. So I go to the library and I sit there and I think uh, a, it's a change of pace, which is nice. But I'm also like, I go there and then I don't want to be there all day, right? You you know, you're happy to be there and you're happy to work, but you also don't want to spend all day there. So it forces me to actually be productive and to get some stuff done because I'm not going to walk all the way to the library, sit down, set my computer up, do that whole thing that takes, let's say, 20 minutes and then sit there for five hours, six hours, and not, and not get anything accomplished. I'm like, all right, I'm here. Let me try to get out of here in three or four hours, which is a much different mindset sometimes than it is when I'm at home. So I think that's the other part, too. You're, you're taking yourself more seriously, and you're, you're essentially saying, all right, I don't want to be here all day, so let me be a little productive when I'm actually working and not spend my time kind of slacking off and doing some other things. Um, have you seen certain areas and cities – Starting to cater towards digital nomads on purpose, like specifically setting stuff up in order to bring this, this as we know, this bigger and bigger movement. Like every day people are joining the location independent digital nomad movement and it's becoming way more in the public eye. And obviously it's still a small minority of people in general. But have you seen areas that are like, hey, we want to start bringing these people into our city or, or our or our country or our region
0: um, yeah that's a good one I think the, 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 the term is becoming more and more people know it more I think maybe economies know it more as well uh, but uh, I have a feeling that governments in general are kind of avoiding uh, um, this because first of all digital nomads are usually uh, people that are very budget oriented or cost oriented and that creates a situation that as tourists, we're not the best tourists there, you know, we're not the splurging coming for a week in, in Venice and just spending money. So um, I think it's a bit frustrating to work with us as, a, as clients, you know, we're very budget oriented and and uh, I have a feeling we're not really the um, uh, what what economies are trying to uh, to get in general. Uh, there are a few examples of a few locations that take us more seriously. Uh, one of them is uh, Estonia. Uh, Estonia is doing a great job with the e-residency. Uh, and so basically, they're kind of inviting people to become an e-resident uh, of Estonia. Uh, but do people cater for digital nomads? Not so much. I still don't think there is so much money there, basically because digital nomads are very budget-oriented. And also, you know, I'm not sure that there are many, many of us. In the end of the day, uh, it's a hype term because it's the dream. But how many people really do that? I have to tell you that I don't know that many people that are long-term changing locations all the time. So I'm not that sure about, uh, about the future here or about uh, would, would governments or businesses would align uh, to get us. I have a feeling we're much more lucrative before we start the dream. Before we actually go on the path of digital nomading, when we have the nine-to-five job, when we have the money, and then when we start, we become a little bit uh, budget oriented. (laughs) That
1: that's that is a good point. And and I Estonia was the one that came to my mind, not having spent any time there, but just reading about the things they do and upping their internet and try. You know, and a lot of actually those Eastern European countries you know, having incredible internet which you might not know, and then Estonia with their e visa and that was the only one that stuck in my head is like, hey, this this country is actually looking a little bit towards making it easier or at least promoting it in some way to get people to come there. Uh, but I think you're right that yeah I guess if you're if you'd rather have someone come to your city for five days and drop three hundred dollars a night on a hotel and go out to eat every night or someone come for two months and get an Airbnb you know for five hundred a month or seven hundred a month and maybe go out once every three nights you know you're certainly not putting as much back into the economy financially in such a short time um you know you're spreading it out over a couple of months. What have you found, though, as the best areas that for you for digital nomads? Like, what are some of the places that you've said, "All right, like this is this is great. It, it ticks all the boxes that, that you have."
0: I think that uh, you have a few hubs, uh, and if you're starting, go to the hubs. Like, for example, don't go to Kazan in November because that's going to be super disappointing and you're <laughs> going to be alone. So it makes sense to go to the hubs. Uh, Chiang Mai. Is the best. I have to admit. I before I went to Chiang Mai, I was like, oh no, I, I'm not gonna love Chiang Mai. Everyone's there and whatever. It's a very soft landing, and uh, there are so many digital nomads there and so much good vibe. So I feel like uh, Chiang Mai is probably your best bet if you're starting out. Um, if there are a few other hotspots. I think that if you wanna. The more scared you are to start, the more uh, Europe can be a very interesting destination because Europe is very organized. Everything works. It's uh, relatively safe. So going to a place even that is low cost in, in more Central Europe like Prague or Budapest, uh, Krakow in, in Poland can also be a good good place. So um, when you start, I think, uh, yeah, choose a location that is kind of low cost. And that means either Thailand or, or uh, Central or East Europe. Um, Or maybe if you want to venture a little bit more, you can go to places that are a little bit more difficult, like, for example, Medellin in Colombia. Uh, I would probably um, advise against it if you're you're starting and you you have a little bit of of, uh, uh, fears and you want to try something more subtle. uh, Nothing beats Europe. Uh, Honestly, nothing beats Europe as a starting point. It's safe organized. Uh, some places are not that high on, on money. Uh, if you want to take it a little bit more and you're more conscious about budget, uh, Chiang Mai uh, and Bali are, are really there. And if you want to adventure, then maybe Mexico or Medellin uh, are, are kind of the next year. And it also has to do with, the, with your stage of life and your economy. So if you're very much into building something bigger and so on, Go to the ecosystems. You need to basically go to London, Tel Aviv, Berlin, and so on. So uh, the location that you choose has a lot to do with your phase of life and uh, basically uh, uh, what are, what's your financial situation, what are your goals, um, how confident you feel, uh, how many risks you want to take, uh, how much travel in comparison to work you're going to do, and so on. So uh, it's very individual, but there are many, many options.
1: Yeah, I think I that that basically hits some of the biggest ones, right? Chiang Mai, Thailand in general, but specifically Chiang Mai, Bali, you know, if you go over that part of the world and you're a digital nomad that you're going to you're going to go there. Like you're going to find yourself there and it's going to be a fantastic experience. And then you mentioned some of the ones in Eastern Europe, Medellin in in Colombia, Mexico is starting to have kind of a big Um, digital nomad expat community because of how close it is to the U.S. Time zones can be a factor for some people, which is always nice if if you're from the U.S. and then you stay in a similar time zone. What about some of the hidden gems, though, like places that you've been that you said, you know, again, this might not be for everyone, and it might not even be for people as their first place that they go. I like how you put that Chiang Mai was a soft landing, and it totally is. But what about some of the places in your eight years that you said, all right, these these might not be known, but to me, they were really special.
0: Yeah, there are a few. First of all, a word of warning, those places are going to be very special. But if you're a very social person, don't go there because you're going to be kind of alone. However, if you're kind of into mixing with the locals and so on, and you can sustain a little bit of period of uh, being alone, you might want to try those hidden gems. The hidden gems, I can think of a few in the Balkans. Uh, for example, Brasov in uh, in Romania is is a, a place that I really enjoy. Uh, Sofia, uh, Plovdiv, and uh, Varna in Bulgaria I stayed in all of them for extended periods. Croatia is amazing, more than anything. Split and Zagreb. Um, uh, I think that if you're very budget oriented and you want a little bit of uh, 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 like a, kind of an adventure, the Ukraine really jumps into mind. As an amazing best value location currently, one of the things to think about, by the way, when you when you travel, and basically it's a well-known fact is the currency fluctuations. How did the currency change and so on? So now the Ukraine is amazing, Colombia is amazing, Russia is pretty good as well. I always take decisions based on currency. I know Travis, you're also a little bit, I heard the the, the, the episode about money. So you're also a little bit uh, uh, going into the money things and kind of.
1: Yeah. If, it, if, it, if the currency drops a little bit, you get 20, 30% off what it might be a couple months before, sign me up. Why not? Right.
0: Sounds good. So maybe we'll do a a service about an alert, currency alert.
1: That's (laughs) right.
0: It kind of uh, sends you an alert every time it happens. But yeah, I think the Balkans, Croatia, uh, uh, those places are pretty good, uh, mostly Europe. I have to say that the the gems that I've found so far were mostly Europe because I think that I want to take also less risks. So, for example, in my current period of life, I would not go to India. India was my first nomadic destination. I absolutely loved it, but I did almost zero work there, you know, because uh, it's so uncertain and unexpected and so many surprises and bad internet and whatever. So currently I'm in a phase where uh, I'm kind of uh, uh, taking risk, but very mild risk in places that I know have the infrastructure. And that's why Europe is, uh, is so great. And I was kind of addicted to Europe. I'm really happy that in 2017 I spent uh, six months in Colombia And three months in Thailand, and now I'm in Russia, but uh, uh, nothing beats Europe, to be honest. So, uh, yeah.
1: How do you decide where you want to go to next, and how far in advance do you decide that? For example, do you know where you're going after Kazan? Do you know where you're going after, after that place? And, yeah, like, is there, I guess, is there more of a plan in place, or is it, uh, you know, I'll pick this place. Okay, there's a cheap flight here, or a great train ticket here, I'm going to go there.
0: That's a great question. So now I'm going to places in the last three months. Basically, in Startup Link, we published some kind of a ranking and we're being invited a lot to uh, uh, conferences. So I'm getting invitations and they say, hey, we're going to cover the flights and the accommodation and whatever, and it's just go. So now it's conference mode, but I, it's very new for me. Usually, what I do, I do nomadic waves, what I call it, which is basically a period in one region. I don't like to take flights in general. So what I have is periods of about five months, each one of them, uh, that is broken by a month in Israel. So basically, a nomadic wave starts after I leave Israel. So let's say if I'm going now to Russia and I'm now in Russia, I'm going to have my nomadic wave uh, around Russia. So it's going to be uh, Russia, the Baltics, and maybe Poland. And that's it, Like I, because I kind of like to focus on, I don't like to jump between uh Uh, like locations by flights and so on. So I kind of, uh, 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 the big decision is basically in Israel, and then it kind of flows because, you know, if I'm now in Kazan and I want to go somewhere else and I have to leave Russia, I don't have a lot of options. I can either go to the Baltics or to the Ukraine. Now I feel like uh, when I'm in Kazan, I kind of feel a shortage of of social life. You know what, let's go to a hub. And the closest hub is basically Tallinn in Estonia. So I'm going to go on the weekend, I'm going to change the base to to Estonia. So basically, it's those nomadic waves that are kind of in the same region, then going back to Israel. And Israel is all about, okay, where am I going next? Kind of where's going to be the next region?
1: Yeah, I, again, you're very formulaic and I like that you're, it's not that someone else is making the decision or, or for you, but you're putting in parameters that cut down a lot of the decision making. Instead of saying, hey, I'm in Kazan, Russia, and it's cold. I'm looking at a map because this is what I do. Oh, I want to go here and I could, you can literally go anywhere in the world, right? And that that leads to some good daydreaming but it also leads to almost it being impossible to pick someone pick somewhere so you're saying all right i'm here in russia i know i'm doing this wave in in this region um i could go ukraine i could go to the baltics i could go to poland you know i'm but i'm going to stay here for 5 months in this area i know i'm going back to israel and then from there i'll make a decision for the next part so yeah it also obviously then keeps your costs down too because you're taking either zero flights or or if you're taking a flight it's a very short you know small flight between a few areas so um what have been some of your favorite waves then Let, let's let's look at it because we talked about some of your places what have been in your memories when you look back I, and say like oh i did like four months and it was boom 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 and this was like just a great four or five months
0: I think I I love all my waves in a way, but uh, I think the best location for me, my continent is South America. Wherever I go to South America, I change as a person. It's very strange, but you're like, okay, this is my place in the planet. Pretty interesting. I don't know why it happens, but uh, that's the situation. So every nomadic wave in South America is a great wave. Uh, But basically, you know, every place I go, I can kind of look at a period and say, That was a special period. I'm trying to go to new places as well. So I'm kind of trying to avoid um, going to uh, places where I've been before uh, because I also noticed that the places that you love the most, if you go back to them, uh, you're going to be a little bit disappointed because uh, it's not really the place that you like, it's the situation in the place. The people that you met, uh, your 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 feelings in this point and so on and so on. So I'm trying to kind of, let's say I've been in Chiang Mai for the first time uh, uh, after eight years of uh, nomadic lifestyle last year and I don't plan to go again because basically I've been there and it was fun and I'm moving on in a way the world is big. So I guess that as long as you're trying new things, it's... Um, Every wave is kind of interesting. I was surprised by how much I like Europe, that's one. Uh, I know that I love South, uh, South America a lot. Uh, Asia is always interesting. So I guess one of the important things for me, for a good wave, is maybe change atmosphere a little bit. Because if you're gonna do a, a, a European wave, and then you're gonna do another one, another one, another one, you kind of miss out on. It's, it's getting to be too repetitive in a way. And, you know, travel burnout is something that happens and it exists and it happens when you're um, basically doing the same things over and over again. So I think that one of the advantages of this lifestyle is kind of the, the, the breath of new air that you go to a new place and you're saying, weird, you know, those are the moments that I like. I'm like you're staring at a Lenin statue in Belarus and I'm saying, wow, that's kind of weird. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm looking for in no
1: a way. What are some of the places that are next like, or, or places you haven't been? Maybe, they're not, maybe they won't actually be next, but you're looking at them and saying, all right, I can't wait to get, get to this region or get to this country or get to this city.
0: So I mean, I'm interested in Japan. I heard a lot about Japan and I'm kind of fearful that my nomadic journey will end when I go to Japan for some reason because uh, but I had the same feeling by the way before I went to London. Uh, so and it didn't happen. I ran away really really fast. So but Japan is kind of uh, interesting for me. So I think this is the only country on my list that I'm saying to myself uh, I want to explore this one. But to be honest, I never plan long-term. Like I have my nomadic wave. And I, I know where it's going to end more or less after five months. I know I'm going back to Israel, and then everything is open. So um, my ability to do any long-term planning is very limited, and um, I actually don't like to long-term plan. Like if you tell me that I have to be in a wedding uh, in about four months from now, it's going to drive me nuts now, you know, because then I'm going to be every day, mm, yeah, but the wedding. So basically I'm trying to avoid those things. But yeah, Japan is definitely on the list.
1: All right. And so when you say that you're worried it's going to ruin your nomadic lifestyle, you mean that you're going to go and then you're just going to want to stay there, right? Like that, that's what you think is going to happen.
0: Yeah, Exactly.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean, you might be able to stay there. I don't know. Money might run out. That might be the uh, that might be the thing that 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 forces you out of Japan is the fact that money might run out. I mean, it having lived there for two years, it can be cheap ish. It can be cheap er. Let's put it that way. Uh, but it's not usually cheap overall. Um, but yeah, I, I hey, if you ever need Japan advice, let me know. I'll try to I'll try to give you some. I haven't been there for a couple years, but uh, it is a fascinating country. And I, in my mind, it is the one, it is the most unique country I've ever been to. It's, I'm not saying like, it's not my favorite and or anything like that, but I've never been anywhere else that is similar to Japan. You know, I've been certain places where I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I love it. But it's, it reminds me a little bit of this when you're in Japan. There's nowhere else I've been that reminds me of Japan. So it is, you will sit there and say, weird. If you like saying weird, Eli, you will say it every day, all day about everything, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, when we, we were talking about budget here too, what are some of the ways that you save money while being a digital nomad? So you talked about a few of them already, like living or staying a little bit outside the city. But what are some other things? Because it's been eight years, and you know you're on a budget and and all this stuff. What are some things that you do that you know? are ways that are gonna like save you enough money that you can continue to sustain this?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, budget is, is a big uh, concern. I think one of the biggest thing you can do is also think about the revenue. So this is something that uh, only lately dawned on me that it's not only about the cost, it's also about the revenue. And when you actually say to yourself, I have to stay low budget, uh, you're kind of giving yourself also a discount on the revenue side of less pressure. So I think that, Uh, Always remember that it's two sides of the equation, the revenue and uh, and the cost. By the way, some people are getting it totally wrong and and, uh, splurge from day one. And that's also something that uh, not taking advantage of the cost arbitrage that places are giving you is is crazy. So first of all, I'm taking advantage of the cost arbitrage, and I'm saying that proudly. I'm going specifically to locations that have great value, uh, and that has to do with the point uh, I've made before. One of my interesting things that I'm checking is currency fluctuations. This is something that is big, people ignore it in in, in many cases, and you shouldn't. If a, Just like I said, Travis, if a currency c- uh, collapsed in 30% in the last year, the country is much more interesting. So that's the first thing that, uh, that I basically do. I don't look for the cheap locations. For example, if I would look for the cheap locations, I would go to India. I'm looking for the best value locations, the location that give me the best quality of of life in in the lowest budget. So basically, it has to do a lot with uh, research about what changed in economies and so on, which ones are currently the most lucrative ones. And uh, this is something I'm taking into account. That's why I've been in Colombia in 2017. That's why I spent a lot of time in the Ukraine in 2016. So uh, knowing a little bit about the economy climate and how value changes in the country is important. That's the first thing. And the second thing, I guess it's um, yeah it's pretty interesting. I, I'm, I think that the longer you stay the better deals you can you can get. Uh, so if you negotiate a, a deal for a, for a month it's going to be a much better deal than a deal for, uh, for a week. Uh, and other than that, I'm not sure there are that many other things to do. Uh, because then you're going to be consumed uh, thinking about budget, which is probably not the way to go. So if you kind of want to make it sustainable on the long term, you kind of always uh, have to uh, think about, okay, does this make sense financially, knowing that uh, cutting 5% here and 10% here are not going to do all the difference. So I guess that, um, you know, I, I used to, when I was traveling in South America, I was the king of hagglers. I could haggle. Over anything, over lunch, over whatever, uh, and now I only try to haggle on the big, the big items. You know, one month rent and so on and so on, and just let the other things, uh, uh, you know, not not be that uh, that important in a way. So, I guess I don't have that many tips for that. And one of the things that I actually noticed for money is that uh, that was one of my biggest realizations is that uh, wherever I go, I spend the same. So if I'm going to be in London, or I'm going to be in the Ukraine, and that was shocking for me, I spend the same. Uh, the only thing that drastically changed was the quality of life. Uh, so I guess the biggest uh, because we have some kind of a compass inside of us that kind of tells us, no, that's too much. And then, in, in the, so basically you spend the same in the Ukraine and, uh, and in uh, London, but in the Ukraine, You live like a king, you rent an apartment in the center of the city, you take only taxis, Uh, you go to sushi meals every day with morning, uh, I like sushi by the way, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever. And in the UK I'm staying in a dorm with uh, 15 people. I'm never not only not taking taxis. I'm not taking the train because it's too expensive. The the underground. I'm walking and, and going to uh, to fast food restaurants or buying stuff in the supermarket. So, I guess my biggest advice would be instead of uh, obsessing about a budget on a daily basis, try to pick the locations that give you high quality of life, and that's gonna be the biggest item you can you can actually think about.
1: Yeah, I I think that's spot on. I that's a good lesson for anyone whether you're a digital nomad or you're just living at, at home, right? It's like try to look at the really big picture stuff like you mentioned. Going to a place its currency has maybe dropped 20, 30% or just going to a place that is generally very cheap compared to a western standard of living. Ukraine, Thailand, Bali, you know, even down in South America, Mexico, if if you focus on that that's going to re- give you such a bigger return than saying, "Oh well, you know this taxi seven dollars. I'm not going to take it. But if it was three, I would." And, and listen, I'm talking to myself here. This is a bit of therapy because I'm that way. It's like you're obsessing over all these little things, when really, you know, you take care of the big picture thing, getting a decent accommodation for for a cheaper price you know if you are we talk a lot about this but if you are flying or or doing something like that cutting those costs down substantially going somewhere that's cheaper especially if you're going to be there for a couple months that's going to save you a lot more money than those those little daily things um would in the long run now of course if you're going out to like the nicest restaurant every night and eating the most expensive thing sure but i doubt many people listening are doing that because the the kind of term we came up with because I like you I don't want it to always be the cheapest I don't even I don't even know if I like the word budget anymore because it it kind of like the connotation is that it's it a cheap traveler for me it's what's the sweet spot between cost comfort and convenience right and that changes that shifts like as we get older as we Have have kids, or we're we're traveling with a partner, or you know you you just want different things, or you or as you said you have more money, so you can afford to spend more. Um, but yeah, finding that sweet spot, and I think you're right, hitting those places that are not the cheapest, but certainly not the most expensive. Those those ones that give you amazing value, And, and we touched on a lot of a lot of those already. What about for you? your biggest travel mishap, because you're eight years in now, and I, not even just as a traveler, you're eight years into your digital nomad life, which is a lot more than probably 99.9% of people out there. What What's happened to you on those travels that you've just shaken your head at and thought like, this will make a good story eventually, but maybe right now it's not so great.
0: Yeah, I had a lot of those from being uh, deported from countries because people thought that my passport was fake and lots of other weird things. I think the the last one, maybe it's because my memory is fading and I kind of uh, was in Colombia in 2017, just a year ago. I think there was a one there that uh, I had a crazy 24 hours. That In those 24 hours, I stayed in a farm close to a city called Bucaramanga. Uh, It started with uh, going out of a really bad flu. So those 24 hours kind of started with kind of a... Uh, being fuzzy from a bad flu. I remember I was walking in my uh, farm and there was a giant rope on the bridge that I crossed every day. So I was thinking about jumping uh, uh, above the rope and then I noticed that it's a giant snake and that, uh, that was kind of scary. Um, on the same day, I went swimming in the river and almost uh, got caught by the, the flow and I couldn't really go back. Uh, so that was also scary. And uh, the day after, I went uh, on a bus uh, from the farm to go to Bukaramanga, to my city. I was the only traveler in the bus. Uh, a guy comes up uh, with a gun, uh, threatening the driver. Uh, for They're, they're like uh, arguing for about three minutes. Um, over... My payment, because I was the only travel uh, person on the bus, so basically the, the driver was arguing about not giving him the 2,000 pesos that uh, I gave him, which was about 20 cents, uh, the day before I exchange money. So I had, I think, about $600 on me. Uh, I heard your uh, money episode, uh, uh, so you, I know that you don't do it. You keep the $100. So I, I had about $600 on me, iPad, iPhone, MacBook, all of them. And uh, the guy, after he finishes with the driver and convinces him to give him my uh, 2,000 pesos, looks at me. And I'm the only person on the bus. Uh, But I look kind of run down after a flu. And I remember his look. And the look that he gave me was um, with a pistol in his hand. uh, He gave me a look of, you've got nothing on you, right? And he just left the bus. And... And that was kind of uh, shocking. Uh, So from one side, I felt like the luckiest person ever, because here you have a guy with a pistol going on a bus. You're the only passenger on the bus. They rob your your fare, and then they look at you and just say, I'm out of here, dude. I'm I'm not even going to spend time on you. So I felt super lucky, but at the same time, I have to admit that it was a, a little bit punch to my ego and i was like are are you kidding me like what would it why not just talk to me and just figure out maybe so i remember i went to shop for clothes on the same day uh, because i said to myself i i need to get a good shirt i'm 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 done with with having this uh, a uh, feeling that uh, when people look at me I look kind of uh, uh, a little bit uh, uh, run down so that was uh, that was an interesting 24 hours in general I noticed that when trouble hits in my my case it hits in the same 24 hours so I have like a so I kind of figured out that if some things uh, are not working out I should just go home you know. Close the door and just let the time pass a little bit. But yeah, I guess that's that's the travel mishaps. And just like you know, the travel mishaps are the best stories that uh, that you've got after. So um, those are the things that I'm also looking for. So
1: yeah, 24 hours. You're, you're sick. You almost you, you almost jump on a snake basically. Then you almost drown by going into the river. And then you would have gotten robbed, but you look so desolate and poor that the guy literally walked away and felt pity on you and was like, I'm not even going to deal with this. And then you went, but I mean, all's all's good that ends well, right? Because you went and you bought yourself a new shirt. So silver lining, you have a new shirt, right?
0: Exactly. No, that was a good, that was actually a good 24 hours. But uh, I guess that this is the things that you can expect when you travel uh, most of your days are going to be very, very boring, but from time to time, you're going to have a crazy day, and uh, it's good that not most of your days are not crazy, but that sometimes they appear you know,
1: out of the blue. So, I, I am with you. I, I think that travel's so great because it opens up all your senses, right? You can't just really go on autopilot through life like you can when you're at home, which is good. At the same time, it doesn't mean that every day that you're out on the road or every day that you're out traveling is this amazing, wonderful mountaintop experience where you found the hidden rice field and you talked to a guy with a water jug on his head and he took you home to eat a meal with his family. You know, I mean, if that happened every day, you, it, you wouldn't even appreciate it, right? Because then when it does happen, you're sitting there saying, wow, like this is why I'm out there to, to have experiences that I can't have at home. And yeah, they're not going to happen every day, but they are going to happen at some points. And then you conversely have those days where you do get to be in a spot, like you said, hang out, see something different, be around nature maybe, but it's it's a normal day, but it's somewhere else. And those are honestly some of my favorite days is when I feel like I'm doing something normal, but I'm not in my hometown. I'm somewhere new. And, and it's those little things that really spark me sometimes, not always the big things. So... Very cool, man. I want to ask you what you have coming up in the pipeline, though. We talked. uh, We don't. I know you don't like to plan very far in advance, so we're not going to hold you to anything you say uh, long term. But what do you have coming up in the pipeline, either with Become Nomad or Startup Blink, which is the other site that you have that you guys should check out if you're interested in the startup world? What What do you see happening, and what do you personally have coming up?
0: That's a great one. I don't, I, I need to do more long term planning. I remember, you know, my brother is a, a successful business person. And when I asked him, what's your secret? He told me, I just plan five years in a, ahead. Uh, that's the only thing I do. Uh, I just plan five years ahead and I go for it. And uh, this is something that I don't do. Um, I hope to keep on working on the blog and the podcast I've got and become nomad. Uh, I'm, I'm slacking a little bit there, but uh, I do enjoy it more than anything because I'm documenting my own insights, which are very valuable uh, for me, firstly. And uh, in Startup StartupLink, I'm, I'm really excited about ecosystems, about exploring startup ecosystems, about what makes um, uh, things tick? Uh, you know, what what makes what culture is is pushing you towards uh, taking risks? Uh, what are the ingredients that actually create a society that is uh, uh, in love with entrepreneurship? And I think, just like you said, entrepreneurship and and exploring and traveling have a lot uh, uh, connected with the uncertainty that they they give you. So. I want to continue exploring this topic and uh, kind of, you know, uh, do my thing, do something that makes a difference, Uh, gives me a little bit of meaning as well, because the traveling cannot be the meaning. Uh, It can be very fun, but at the end of the day, you need a little bit of uh, uh, other stuff that kind of uh, gets you going, and just keep on doing interesting stuff, yeah? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. I your brother plans five years in ahead. I felt so amazing that I sat down and planned out a whole year. Because for me, I, I probably have never planned more than three months in advance. Like you, if someone's like, "Hey, there's a wedding in in seven months," I'm thinking, "Oh wait, what if I wanted to travel somewhere during those seven months? You know, what if I'm away?" Um, so sitting down and planning for one year, I, I will tell you personally has it It sounds silly, to I think, people in in regular positions or people who are planners and organizers. But to me, it was one of the biggest, most important things that I've done in the past year because it does go against my my natural inclinations. And to sit down and do it, it was almost like, yeah, weight was off my shoulders a bit because I thought, all right. every day wasn't planned, of course, but like big pieces were planned with enough flexibility in there. and I thought I thought, this is cool. Like, now I also have something to look forward to as well, right? Kind of like how you do with your waves, where you say, All right, I'm not exactly even sure where I'm going to go, but I'm looking forward to going to Eastern Europe or I'm looking forward to going down to South America. I'm not sure what it's going to look like day by day by day or, you know, super specific, but I know at least I'll be down there and I have something to look forward to. So, yeah, I, I'm like a uh, recovering completely unorganized human being. So uh, I'm getting more organized. So I'm right there with you, Eli. And your brother, I mean, he sounds like uh, someone who's cut from a different cloth than both of us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So Eli, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for kind of just being so open and honest. I love when I get to talk to people who are digital nomads, entrepreneurs who don't hold anything back and talk about the fact that, hey, I'm learning stuff. But I certainly don't have it all figured out, and here's what I'm learning, and here's why I'm learning it, and here's what it, you know, how it's helped me and how it might help other people. So thank you so much for your openness and your honesty and for everything you're doing. Remind people one more time how they can get a hold of you. What's the best place to find you?
0: So I guess nomad.com is a good place to start if you're interested in exploring the nomadic lifestyle. I'm not gonna bore anyone with my travel adventures there. It's only about topics that uh, are general. And also startupblink.com with a big uh, as a place to kind of see a giant map of the startup ecosystem and kind of figure out where are the most exciting uh, startup uh, hubs. And um, so, yeah, and it was a pleasure, Travis. Thanks a lot for inviting me.
1: Yeah, thank you. We're, guys, we'll link everything up there in the show notes. So we'll link up nomad.com, We'll link up startupblink.com. Again, you can check those out. Um, super easy to find Eli at those places. And don't forget, um, guys, again, uh, that we will have all the show notes there and we'll have all the show notes for all our shows 300 plus 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 however many plus episodes that we have you can get that extra pack of peanuts dot com slash shows eli thanks again for coming on i appreciate you uh tuning in from snowy cold kazan russia of course from a co-working space i don't know if we said that on the show yet but he is he's coming to us from a co-working space so eli you are practicing what you preach here
0: Thank you. And the only co-working space in uh, Kazan, of course. So uh, yeah, There you thank go. You. <laughs>
1: you, didn't, you didn't have many options when you had to choose one in Kazan. So All thank right. you, Eli. I appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in today, for your continued support that makes this number one rated travel podcast. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you very soon more.